Since the discovery of your, of your spouse's sexual betrayal, do you feel like, despite what the Bible says, your mind and your life have become a raging storm and peace feels as elusive as water in your hands? Hi, I'm Kim Pullen, and welcome to this episode of the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live. And uh, this today we're going to be talking about that peace and that storm that goes on inside of us, especially in the wake of our spouse's betrayal, whether that is pornography or it is adultery. So to help those of you, this is your first time viewing for us. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and why I started Hope for Spouses. My husband and I were separated for four years due to his serial adultery. <clears throat> and so I had to really go on a long personal internal journey uh, to really figure out in me what what I needed to change because there was nothing I could do about my spouse. Uh, he lived with his, uh, his affair partner for two and a half years and then after two and a half years started his long journey to come back to God and eventually to come back to me. And so in that time frame, I had to really reconcile a lot of things in my own character and in my own heart that I had really never seen before. And um, they, they were always there in the scriptures, but I had chosen not to see them for myself. And so I started Hope for Spouses because I really wanted to give people who claim to be Christians, those who really believe the scriptures are their standard for their life. I really wanted to give you hope and faith that, that God can come through. Um, we do not have any power of our spouse's choices, but we do have the power to live free ourselves from the addictive patterns that form in our marriage. And so uh, one of the things that I really had to wrestle with, especially immediately following my separation, was really dealing with what was going on in my head and the storms that constantly raged there in my mind. And I was always thinking about what was my husband doing, you know, and and I mean, I had been a devoted follower of God, reading the scriptures daily, active in my church for 30 years when this happened. And yet I felt like I, it was like, I couldn't find any peace. I was constantly in turmoil. I couldn't focus my mind. I couldn't focus my heart. I had three children, two of them with special needs. It was a very, very challenging time. I was working very part-time and, um, you know, God just stepped in and really became my provider, but I really had to choose, um, to find that peace. I had to really wrestled through a lot of things in order to come that. And so I started Hope for Spouses in order to be able to do that and to share it with others. And the scriptures talk about taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. And that's really what this comes down to is the choices that we make. If you are not feeling at peace on a consistent basis, you know, you're obsessive what, with what your spouse is doing about catching them. If you feel frustrated, if you feel angry or bitter uh, you have fits of rage. You're constantly nagging your spouse. You're stalking them. You know, um, those are considered acts of the sinful nature in, in Galatians 5.19. And the scriptures teach quite clearly if those things are reigning in our life, that we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because we're trusting in what we can see. And we are actually making excuses for our sin. Um, our spouse, our spouse's sin. We make excuses with it. You know, we sin because our spouse sinned. And really, when it comes down to it, there's no excuse for why we can't be obedient to God. Is it easy? Heck no. It's the hardest thing that I ever did was choosing to be obedient to God, regardless of the choices that my spouse um, 
was making. So the big question I ask right now for you is, where are you? And, and that's a very common question throughout scripture, especially if we go all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis 3, God had that question for Adam and Eve as well. They had disobeyed God. They had listened to the serpent and they had disobeyed God and had chosen to sin instead of really trusting in God's power to work in them. And in um, verse chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, I'm going to take us over there. Um, it says, when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord and God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And see, that's really what it comes down to is God, you know, whenever we have these big questions in scriptures, we have to turn the scriptures on ourselves. Okay, We have to ask ourselves, where am I? And that's the question I really realized I had to ask myself when it came down to this situation with my husband is, where was I? It was clear that my husband wasn't right with God. At least that's what the scriptures showed. But where was I? And now this, I say this very clearly. This doesn't negate your spouse's sin. You're not responsible for their choices. You're not responsible for them choosing sex over God or them choosing, you know, a relationship with another partner or choosing pornography over you. You're not responsible for those choices, but you are responsible for your own. And so it's really important that we are constantly asking ourselves, where am I with God? Because God is not seeking us geographically. He is seeking for us to examine our hearts, to come clean and to own our own sin, do all the changes that we can make. Because even if our spouse turns around, repents, you know, comes back to God, comes back to marriage, are we going to be ready for that relationship or are we going to be still broken? And so that's what I really set my heart and mind on when my husband was away is I had to ask myself if he chooses to come back, if he chooses to listen to God. Am I going to be ready for that relationship? Am I going to be what I need to be in order for that to happen? So I had to make some very clear choices. Um, I had to basically choose that I was going to be like heroes in the scriptures that I admired. I wasn't going to be like Adam and Eve who blamed each other and then blamed the serpent for why they had sinned. I didn't want to be like Cain. I didn't want to be like Esau, okay, who um, treated his inheritance was scorn. You know, I didn't want to be like Judas. I didn't want to be a blamer of other people. I wanted to assume responsibility for my sinful choices. Because when we ultimately stand before God and, and we're held accountable for what we've done, we can't blame other people for why we didn't obey the scriptures. We are, we are still responsible for obeying the scriptures regardless. And, and Jesus really showed us how to do that. He was the example. And if Jesus said, if we're going to do greater things than him. He says that in, in the end of his life in John. He says, we're going to do greater things than him. And if that's the case, we can stand up in the midst of so much trauma and betrayal and, and not fall into the same patterns that we may have been falling into continuously. We're really looking to Jesus as our pattern and as our standard. The ones that we want to follow really are, are men and like Abel, uh, David, Joseph, Peter, Paul. I'm going to put a um, a uh, couple of scriptures up here. And I really want do want to encourage you to go back through these scriptures that I'm posting, um, whether they're the ones that I'm putting here on the bottom or the full ones that I'm showing. I really want to encourage you to go back and look at these scriptures on your own because it really doesn't matter what I say here. 
if you aren't really going to the scriptures yourself and getting your own convictions. These are my convictions. My convictions will not carry you. They have to be your own convictions. So I really want to encourage you to go back over. Look at Genesis 39.9. Look at how Joseph viewed immorality. Look at how he, he really accepted responsibility for his own sin. And sin is sin. It doesn't really matter what it is. We, when we sin, we sin against God. We're not necessarily even, we sin against other people, but the, the real issue is that we're sinning against God. Uh, in Psalm 51, 4, David really recognized how much he had hurt God as well. Okay, so basically all have sinned, you know, every single one of us. In Romans, in um, chapter 3, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, you know, we have to really choose what we're going to um, what we're going to focus on. We can choose to focus on all the pain that our husband is doing in our life, the betrayal, um, all the negativity. We can choose to focus on that. or We can choose to really focus on our own relationship with God. So, you know, it's 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 a decision and it's a decision we probably have to make multiple times. We don't just do it once. Uh, I remember for the first six months after my husband and I were separated, I literally had to get myself out of bed every morning and make those choices. I had to use scripture and affirmations and great music to really set my mind and my heart on where I was going to put my focus. And um, and really, I think one of the biggest things I realized over the course of that time is is I only had so much power that that you know which one. Which if my focus was on my husband, was it going to change him? You know, because I tried for a long time to change my husband and I just kept running around that insanity loop, doing the same thing over and over, expecting something to be different. And it didn't. And so I really had to recognize I had to do something different. I had to do something completely different than what I've been doing. And I chose to really be obedient to what the scripture said. So we can also ask ourselves, do we think our marriage or our our healthy spouse can meet the needs that really only God can meet at us. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example. So when Adam was in the garden, okay, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Eve was the one who listened to the serpent. Now we don't know if Adam was standing right next to her, if he was somewhere else, but he knew God's command that don't eat from the tree. And yet Eve sinned. And then Adam, instead of rejecting what, Eve was offering him um, and, and clinging to the relationship that he had with God, he chose to um, sin. He chose to accept the fruit. And it talks about in um, 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says, and Adam was not the one who was deceived. Let me get rid of this agenda. Um, Adam was not the one who was deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So I'm, I'm not sharing this to say, oh, the woman is so awesome, awful. But I'm saying this to say that that Adam understood exactly what he was doing. He really recognized that he was choosing something other than God to fill his needs. And now maybe this leads into addiction or maybe it doesn't with our spouses that they are choosing to not be obedient to God. They are choosing something other than God to fill them up. But we have to ask ourselves the same thing because I really recognized over a period of time after my husband and I were separated that I really had put my husband over God as far as the one who can meet my needs. And I had really put on my husband this expectation, which really wasn't fair, that he needs to meet these needs that only God was designed to meet, that I basically made my husband an idol. 
so I had to accept responsibility for that and, and shift my priority, shift who was really at the center of my life and really shift what I believed um, that could meet those needs. And that was God. And only God could do that. Even my husband now, we have an amazing relationship. We've been back together for three and a half years. Uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our 27th wedding anniversary. He is doing incredible. Our marriage is doing incredible. We have more emotional intimacy than we've ever had in our marriage. I still can't expect him to meet needs that only God can meet. It's not fair that I put that expectation on him. Uh, I have an intimacy with God that transcends my husband's even understanding of what that even looks like because only God can do that with my own heart. So we have to be really careful that we don't have these expectations of our spouse, especially some of our spouses who aren't close to God and maybe have never been close to God that they, they for them to meet those emotional needs. Now, also in, um, in, I'm sorry, in Matthew, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, okay, there's an example of the unmerciful servant, okay, and I think it's really easy for us, uh, especially when we get angry and enraged, and I spent many, many times in, in anger and being enraged with my spouse, um, that we go back to this uh, parable of the unmerciful servant, okay? And in this parable, and please go back and read it, uh, a, a servant was um, forgiven a debt. Now we're talking, it was like $4 billion. Okay, Jesus is exaggerated in the scripture because you know, $4 billion today uh, to be given, forgiven that kind of a debt is ridiculous. So he's just using an exaggeration that he was forgiven $4 billion worth of debt, okay? But the same servant, went to somebody else that he knew who owed him money, like a few dollars. And he basically threatened the guy, put him in jail, you know, and was like, how dare you keep money from me? And, and it says when the king found out, the guy who, the king who had forgiven this guy of his debt, when he found out about it and he heard what the guy had done, he was astounded that, you know, he had forgiven this man of so much and yet he was holding his sin or is holding the debt of somebody else that was significantly smaller. And I had to really come to grips with the fact that, yes, my husband had hurt me terribly. He had deceived me for many years. He was a serial adulterer, um, had had many affair partners. And yes, that hurt terribly. And he did betray me. He did betray our the covenant of our marriage. But really, when it came down to it, what I had done to God was so much worse. You know, I made my husband an idol. I had inf infidelity in my life prior to my husband and I getting married. Um, you know, that my sin over the course of my lifetime was infinitely worse against God than my husband's sin was against me. And so, you know, I really had to compare apples to apples and not apples to oranges here. And so I think we have to really make sure that we're not being the unmerciful servant when it comes to our spouse. Again, it doesn't negate their sin. It doesn't negate the hurt that we feel, the betrayal that we feel. But we're talking about our relationship with God. And we have to really see this thing very clearly. When it really comes down to it, our marriage, our husband betraying us, we are simply collateral damage in their broken relationship with God. They have broken faith with God first and foremost, and they will not be able to uh, be reconciled with us until that broken relationship with God is healed first. 
So, you know, our spouse getting involved in sexual addiction, sexual sin, it's simply the it's simply the the fruit of them not being connected to God. OK, so I think that's really important that we we see that. OK, I also want to think, do, do you really feel like you're blown and tossed? OK, um, like you're reading tons of books and you're listening to these videos um, or watching these videos. You are going to support groups. You're listening to all these things. You go online and you read articles, all these things. and and there's always something a little bit different. Maybe you're talking to other people who are in the same situation or have been in the same situation. And so you just feel like, oh my gosh, there's so much information, so much information. What do I listen to? All right. I think it's really easy for us to get blown and tossed that way. In fact, in, um, in, let me see, where is it? It's in Matthew seven. Okay, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. Okay, so what is the rock he's talking about? It's the scriptures. It's so easy for us to um, set our eyes on the world and think the world has answers. But God's word has been in existence long before any of the secular um, secular theories, skills, practices have ever come into, into, into being. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things aren't good. They're awesome. They're great tools. I use them. But those tools in and of themselves are not going to bring the peace that we need in inside of our hearts. They're man-made things. We have to make sure we're using the scriptures as our rock that we're really building our life and our heart on. Um, there's also a couple other scriptures I wanted to put up that I think will um, will help you. Let me bring these up here. So this is um, James 1, 22 through 25 and John 8, 31. It talks about when we put the scriptures into practice, how it really does. Um, it just transforms the way we think. And I mean, it just makes sense. I and mean, Jesus said it in John 8, 31 that if you obey my teachings and you put them into practice, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, that we're going to be able to be free. We're not going to have those storms racing through our mind. We're not going to have all the chaos because we're really putting Jesus's word into action. OK. All right. So what is the truth? OK. What is the truth? We basically where are we setting our faith? All right. What is our faith in? If our faith is in our spouse, if our faith is in a counselor miraculously healing our marriage, if our faith is in what we do, okay, if our faith is in um, a support group, if our faith is in anything other than the scriptures, it won't work. It just doesn't work, okay? And, and we have to really recognize that God didn't design us to find our hope and our help outside of him, okay? Um, sometimes I think we can think that um, that everything will work together if our spouse just turns around. You know, we don't sometimes we get frustrated because we don't see them suffering the consequences of their sin. And and so we have to feel like we have to tell them how they're hurting us. We have to show them things. We have to put it in their face. This is what you're doing. And they seem like they're so happy, especially if they're with an affair partner or if they're continuing to stay on pornography and 
they walk around the house like a zombie, you know, but they, but they don't really want to change and they're making our lives miserable. And they seem like they say that they're happy, but you know what? Those are lies. Those aren't the truth. Okay. In Galatians five, I'm sorry, Galatians six says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So really, regardless of what we may see on the outside, our spouse is not happy on the inside. And they're simply using these addictive things in order to fill up the holes that they have inside of their heart because they're not connected to God. But our faith has to be in what the scriptures teach. It has to be in the promises of God's word. And only there are we going to really find that peace. So we, we don't always see how other people's sin are affecting them, but we can trust in the promises of what God really does say. Okay. Um, also, Jesus really calls us to, instead of trusting the things that we can see, he calls us to trust in him, to take on his yoke. And he talks about that in um, Matthew 11, um, verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 28 through 31. Okay, again, look up to scripture. And when we're putting our uh, stock, our faith in other things besides Christ, we're not going to feel that peace. The only thing that's going to really bring that peace is really putting our trust in what the scriptures teach. Uh, now, and I want to say before I really move on that I think sometimes we can get into this deception that um, that we make these choices and immediately we you know everything gets better everything is resolved and and this doesn't work that way in fact they've shown through research that it takes 3 to 5 years for an addict to really heal if they're in intense recovery you know they're they're going to a support group they're seeing a counselor they have an accountability partner they're doing everything that they need to in order to really move closer to god that if they're in that kind of a mode for three to five years, that's when they get healthy. Well, you know what? It takes us just about the same amount of time to really get healthy emotionally, especially if we have a lot of core wounds from childhood that we have to resolve. It takes a long time. So we can't expect instant peace. It has to be something that we're choosing on a consistent basis. And then with practice, we learn how to really grasp that peace. Okay. So how do we really get it? So number, I guess, as I was saying, first, we have to be willing to accept the scriptures as our standard. Okay. It's not other people's opinions. It's not even our own feelings. And sometimes this is where we run into our greatest danger. We literally, it's like Satan puts a hook in our nose and, you know, drags us around by our feelings and, and our feelings change constantly. Sometimes we feel great. Sometimes we feel lousy. And if we're really letting our feelings be our guide, we are, we're sunk. Okay. It doesn't work that we have to let the scriptures supersede our feelings. We can't, we can't base them on our spouse's opinion. We can't, you know, base them on what our ministers think or, or really honestly, even a lot of people who have been, you know, who are maybe are going through this as well with you. I don't want you to even listen to me unless you go back to the scriptures and really study this out for yourself. These are this is these are my opinions. I believe they're right. But you know what? You're going to have to stand before God for what you do. So please go back and really study these scriptures on your own. Um, you know, the scriptures are what's going to ultimately judge us. So here's a couple of scriptures I want you to go ahead and, and study on your own. John 12, 
uh, verse 28. Actually, that should be verse 48. John 12, 48. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. And James 1, 22 through 25. I'm going to leave those up for a second. Okay, so it's really important that we use the scriptures um, as our standard because they're going to be what's going to judge us. Uh, it's not going to be our feelings. It's not going to be other people's opinions. We're going to stand before God, just him and you know, us and him. And he's going to use the scriptures. It's going to be our measuring line. Okay. We also really have to be humble. We have to be willing to accept God's teaching to our hearts. Um, Hebrews 12. Let me find it here. Okay. So Hebrews 12. Verse seven says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, as his daughter or his son. For what child is not disciplined by their father? So I think sometimes we can look at hardship. We can look at the challenges that we're going through with our spouse. We feel like we're being punished. And it's not punishment. It's the love that God has for us. Sometimes he exposes our spouse's sin um, because we need to change. Um, God loves our spouse too, and he wants them to change. And as long as they continue in their sin, they're not going to go to heaven. And so I personally believe that God exposed my husband's sin because he loves my husband so much that he wanted him to get right. He exposed my husband's sin and then he exposed my sin so I could repent, so I could change. And so we have to change the way we view hardship and really see it as God, God uh, exposing things in our character and our life so that we can be different. Okay. We also have to be um, faithful um, and, and earnestly be seeking God. We can't be doing it haphazardly. Okay. In Hebrews eleven six, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So earnestly means that we're doing it with all of our heart, all of our passion, everything. It's not, we're just going to church on Sunday and that's enough. Okay. We have to be in the word ourselves every day. He says, if we're not doing that and God knows whether we're doing it earnestly or not, he says, we can't please God. We can't honor God. And so our faith is in God and the scriptures. It's not in what our spouse does. Okay. All right. We also have to be willing to set, and you've heard this word, boundaries, okay, based on scripture, not our feelings. And we're not setting boundaries on our spouse. We actually set boundaries on ourselves, how we are going to react to things. If our spouse is being manipulative, our spouse is gaslighting us, they're using passive aggressive tactic to try to get under our skin, okay, we have to choose to not react, okay? That's how we set boundaries. If they start doing that, our boundary on us is going to, we're going to walk out of the room, okay? If our spouse is going to continue sinning, um, if they're choosing not to leave an affair partner, if they're choosing to continue the pornography, one of the boundaries we can set uh, is we, you know, move out of the room, we sleep on the couch, or we ask them to get out of the, you know, move out of the bedroom, whatever it is. Um, there are healthy boundaries we can set based on what the scriptures teach, okay? And I think we have to be willing to set the boundaries and, and not be, and not compromise. Uh, I've talked to many ladies who have set boundaries and then they've gone back on them. And so their spouse doesn't take, think they're serious about them. But when we're really using God's word as our standard, we imitate God's heart. And God is very compassionate, but he's also uncompromising in his expectations of us being close to him and righteous. Uh, when we got married, we expected our spouse to be faithful to us. If they are, you know, using pornography, 
you know, Matthew talks about how if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's committing adultery. If they're unrepentant in their pornography, it's just like adultery. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Okay. If they refuse to give up the relationship with an affair partner, you know, they're, they're compromising. We can't compromise. So it's super important. God didn't compromise in Romans uh, one. Uh, I'll put these scriptures up as well. In Romans one verses 24, 26, and 28, when the people kept going into sin, it said, God gave them over. He surrendered them. These are the choices that we're making. He let them go. He let them dive into their own sin. Why would God do that? Because he wants us to wake up to the consequences of our sin. And we will suffer the consequences of our sin if we don't choose to change. Okay. All right. So, um, did God promise us that we would have no suffering? No. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus said anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted in this life. When we are striving to follow God. We're striving to do what's right. And we are standing in the face, standing in the way of our spouse continuing to sin. Then our spouse is going to persecute us. The people around us are going to persecute us. Okay. So if we really want that peace that passes understanding, let's look at that passage, which I think is, um, something we want, we all crave. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So having that peace that passes understanding starts with the word. It's, it's not being anxious because we're putting all of, of what we're going through in our relationship with God, we're building that intimacy. And as that intimacy builds, we're not going to feel that anxiety. Okay. But also the scriptures teach that, that, uh, suffering produces character. Okay. He says in Romans five, three through eight, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. So, I want you to really change how you're viewing this storm that you're in right now. Okay. Um, the bamboo tree, when it first starts growing, it grows down. So it can withstand as the, as the stalk goes up, it can withstand the breezes and the winds that come because its roots are down deep. I want to encourage you to put your roots down, to go deep into God's word, to go deep in your relationship with God. Let that be your standard. So when the storms are around you are going, you can be at peace. You can be calm and you'll be able to see things much more clearly when you're seeing things through the eyes of God and the scriptures. Okay. So practically, um, you know, this Tate's really following um, a specific strategy. Uh, if you've never really read the scriptures or if you kind of sort of read them, but you don't really know how to use them this way, then I want to encourage you to give me a call. Um, I do free breakthrough calls and we'll talk through. I, you know, my goal is to give you clarity, to give you truth, to give you some direction. And if we can, if I can help you further than that, I do do some coaching. Um, I will tell you about that if we're a good fit. If not, I'll give you some other resources that can really help you. But one of the things I've learned is that we that in order to really go from that storms, those, those raging storms into a place of peace, that we really need 
um, a biblical strategy. We need a guide that has been there and done it using the scriptures. And we really need to have a tenacity to get out of it ourselves. We can continue to stay in the insanity loop, but we can choose to get out. So I can help you with the first two, but you've got to be the one that has the tenacity and the determination to get out of where you're at, to get into that place of peace. Okay. So if you are want that, then I want you to encourage you to give me a call. Okay. It's hopeforspouses.com slash call. Again, that's hopeforspouses.com slash call. It is a free call and we'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes. And I promise that by the time you get off the phone, you will have clarity about the direction that you need to go in. Okay. So that concludes our time today. I will see you next week on the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live.